1: Welcome back to DL Hughley Uncut. Our first guest is an American commentator, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, and novelist. It's Leonard Pitts Jr. <laughs> How you
2: doing, Leonard?
3: I'm good. How are you? Uh,
2: you know, I, I, I'm excellent. I got to tell you this. I think that you you're my favorite uh, journalist, uh, and I, and I say that uh, every time I talk to you. But um, but lately, I would say the last few years, your a uh, writing uh, uh the focus point of your writing hasn't been as optimistic as it usually had been. like <laughs> you, <laughs> That's weren't, an you weren't it's exactly like, well. the most optimistic motherfucker i was reading you know what i'm yeah. saying yeah
3: yeah
2: why was that and and what do you think uh will happen now
3: well i think you know i'm <laughs> i'm dealing with two com- conflicting imperatives if i can say that i think as a columnist one one imperative is to always give people some sense of you know, this is the way out or this is what we can do better or this is how we shall overcome, you know, some kind of happy ending. The other imperative is to tell the truth. And, you know, usually those things are not in conflict, but in the depths of Donald Trump's America, they became kind of hard to, it became kind of hard to tell the truth and yet also leave you, you know, doing this. Right, right, right. That's, 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 I, I, I tried, I really tried, but I'm not, the one thing that I can't do as a writer is lie. You know, I mean, that's just to me, if, if, if I'm lying, you'll know it. That's how right. I feel. Right. If what I if what I say is not coming from here, you're going to know it. So I can't lie. So, yeah, I have I have been, you know, less optimistic than I have been than, than in previous years. I, I guilty as charge.
2: What would you say um, did the results of, of, uh, of last week's uh, election? Did they harden you? Did they crystallize anything? Did they? Were they a relief or, or what What exactly would you say? How would you quantify your emotional uh, kind all of,
3: of the All of the above. It, it's, it's you know, it's certainly better than the other alternatives. <laughs> 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 you know, before we get into deep analysis, let's just be clear. Uh, you know, it, it was a great step back to or, or forward to what we need to be. But the thing that I keep telling people is it's only a step because, and it's become cliche at this point, Donald Trump was not the illness. Donald Trump was the symptom of the illness. Right. So, right. you know, we, we we may have excised the symptom of the illness, but we still have to deal with the with the illness. So. Now,
2: now, you know, what's interesting. How can you uh, diagnose and, and treat an illness when 71 percent of Americans, 71 million Americans didn't believe there was an illness and that this was the appropriate a response to it that they believe that we were heading down the right path yep. under this leadership So I don't I don't know what the chances are of having an effective outcome if most people don't even think there's anything wrong
3: Exactly, uh, the, the the point that I made in a recent column, you know, yeah, I'm glad to see this happen but 7 million more people voted for this guy after he destroyed the economy <laughs> after 236 million uh, 236 thousand of our people died who didn't have to die most of them in, in the pandemic after you know all the racism sexism misogyny incompetence of this guy seven million more people looked at him and say yeah that, that's more I more like.
2: please mm-hmm. that's i was reading your article and i said you got to get him back because t- okay I, I read it but tell the people with the last name of your of your last uh editorial well it
3: depends i don't know what the last one you saw is are you talking about the one uh in terms of people asking uh a reconciliation. Yes, yes. It's exactly that. One. Yeah. The last time that column was something to the effect of please don't ask me uh, about um, what I'm going to do to reconcile with with Donald Trump supporters. A better better question. Ask them what they will do to reconcile with me. And you
2: make the point that constantly black people always have to saf- sacrifice their needs for what they're told is the good of their country. For what they're told yeah. is the yeah. is is the idea if we want America to make it move forward. They did it in slavery. They've done it. They've always been uh, the these even even to some degree. The Obama Obama administration gave up a lot of things that, to right. the detriment of black people for for what we believe would be better for America. and We never get our return for it. I saw that article and I agreed with you. I think that every time white people get mad, lose and get mad, we give them something.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we, we we give them something, or we go out of our way to sell their feelings or whatever. And I'm just not feeling. It. Yeah. And again, you talk about you know not being optimistic, and I look at having that feeling. Okay, if everybody feels like I feel, and you know there seem to be a lot who do, then how do we go forward from here as one country, well, you know, one nation indivisible, all that other good stuff? And the answer is I don't know. Well, it's it's I simple. Really uh, to
2: know. me, it really is a simple thing. I think that we have to understand the one thing about Republicans that I've learned, particularly under Donald Trump. They'll take a lot of the bad to get the good, to get the things they want. All the racism, all the misogyny, all the hatred, that's bad. But I got the tax cuts and the judges I want. So they will look – really, so they'll look the other way while these terrible things happen. They will hold their nose and more of them will decide that whatever they got was worth the deal they made with the devil. And I think the people in – the one thing Republicans should have taught this administration is not just to have power, to weld it, to use it. And to use it to the people who have supported you.
3: Yeah, no, I don't. yet yeah, th- that's the key thing to use it to for the people who have supported you, and that's the one thing for me. Democrats have, have failed to do a Absolutely.
1: lot.
3: Uh, they are always Democrats are like the guy who has a girlfriend who maybe is not the most attractive girl, you know. And so while we're behind closed doors, we all bunned up and we all boo. But when when we're out in public, I don't don't, don't walk so close to me. Right. Sort of thing. Let's not that's talk about it. my
2: weekend endeavors later. Let's stick to the point. You need to stick to where we're at. <laughs> no.
3: but, but that, that of, to me, that's how they treat black sure. voters. That's how they treated black voters for years. You know, there's lip service, but when it when it comes to, okay, we're in front of the entire country, and we need to talk about the things that we need to do for African Americans then suddenly they get a little bit more mumble mouth. You, know, you know, I'm tired I, of
2: it. I think you're right. I think that this notion of appealing to a rural voter, there's a mythic and never, you know, there are they're, they're myths. There are things that they will never, ever, ever vote for you. They never will.
3: You know the last time a majority of white voters voted for Democrat, right? No. Lyndon Johnson was in office. Okay. Right. So <laughs> they not have not had the majority of right. white voters since then. Okay, since 1960, uh, I think four was the last election where a majority, where, where Democrats had a majority of the white vote. Hadn't happened since the, and, and what happened between 1964 and 1968 to change that? Little thing called the Voting Rights Act. Right. Oh, right. you're going to give Negroes the right to vote? Right. You, As Lyndon Johnson said when he signed it, we've lost
2: them. Yeah, forever.
3: Lyndon Johnson said, we've lost the South for, the only thing he got wrong was he said, we've lost the South for 25 years. Now Lyndon. Been longer than that. Why you bullshitting Linda? I think that this time.
2: I think this time okay there was an incredible. It's 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 very hard to beat an incumbent president, no matter what. It's, it's, it hasn't happened that many times in our history, and particularly one that is corrupt and will use the lovers of power legally or illegally. You will steal uh, mailboxes. You will uh, take out sorting machines. You will you will uh, enlist uh, you know armed thugs to kind of intimidate people. You will you will put judges in place you think give you an advantage. It's like having a cheat code in a game. Um, and and he still won. Wa- still lost. I don't think he's as shocked that he lost. I think because I didn't think he thought he more people would vote for him. I thought he thought all the cheating he would do would help him win. But yeah. there's never been a clearer example of the importance of black and brown people because. He didn't. Uh, Biden didn't win Georgia. He won Atlanta and Athens. He didn't win <laughs> Wisconsin. Yeah. He won Milwaukee and Racine and uh, Philly. He won Pittsburgh and, and and Pennsylvania. He won Philly and Pittsburgh. And just like in 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 Vegas, he won in, in Nevada. He won Vegas and in Phoenix and Arizona. He won Phoenix. He won with large uh, uh concentration of black and brown people. And the caveat being that they threw the entire uh, wealth and power and popular and circumstance of the presidency and the white vote behind him and still lost. So you he. People now can understand you can win just doing right by the people who support you.
3: Wow, what a novel concept! <laughs> I'm gonna do it for them that supported me. I'm going to chase folks that don't care about me. I'm going to do it for them that supported support me. Support You've never had to explain that to the Republicans. I don't see the Republicans. Run. I, I used to write columns back in the '90s, begging the Republicans, please, you know, chase the black vote. But I don't. I don't think it's healthy that one party has a monopoly, right? Okay. Right. That's, that's how they get to take us for granted. And I, the Republicans, have, I'm still waiting on Republicans to answer. They have not, ch- well, they gave they you a ch-
2: little Wayne, you got a little Wayne and <laughs> <in> ice
3: cube. <laughs> <laughs> don't need the black vote. They don't, so they don't care. They, they pay enough lip service. You know, they, they say something nice on, you know, Martin Luther King day and you know, the anniversaries, or whatever. But other than that, they don't care about right. us. Right. Right. And, and and the Democratic Party needs to come to understand he, we're we're who you got we're who you date right I'm sorry. right you know, we, right we, we're we're it you right. know, us and, and some of the Hispanic brothers and sisters and a minority of white folks right that's it that's, that's your who you consumer. got that's right. your
2: bait right it is yeah. you know when, when it's always funny because they always go look at the map it's so much red all that means to me is white people got a lot of room they got a lot of <laughs> like, <laughs> they got a lot of space no wonder <laughs> you guys are mad folks. Um, so what do you think? Um, I think that your approach is absolutely right. I think that the outcome should not be I'm going to supplant uh, the wishes of those who have been my supporters for this mythic notion or this idea of somebody who hasn't will. And what would that look like to you?
3: Uh, what, what the Democratic Party needs yes. to do? It would, it would look like more programs designed to to alleviate uh, income inequality. Programs designed to alleviate, uh, you know, job loss in the in the in the in the urban core, housing. It would look like, you know, education. It would look like, if what can we do about these food deserts? And and Lord knows, it would look like I don't even know how I forgot to name this number one. It would look like uh, doing something to get a hold of these, you know, renegade uh, police departments. Mm. Hmm. You know, I don't know how that came to be number five on my list. No, but I think that they
2: all—they all—they kind of rotate. I mean, I think that they're equally. But uh, but you're absolutely right. Once they stop killing us, we gotta live somewhere. (laughs) We gotta we gotta gotta go to school somewhere. (laughs) I I I think that that article spoke spoke volumes, and I think that there's always, you know. Well, you know, I remember when me and my brother would have a fight. And my mother would make me apologize because she knew that my brother wouldn't. You know what I mean? She would make me apologize because she knew I wouldn't. And then she she just wanted peace. And I think that too many times they have just wanted black people to shut the fuck up and go away because these Mm -hmm. dudes with guns and rebel flags ain't going to go away. So I'll just give them the electoral college or whatever else they need to make sure that they feel like I I hurt them.
3: It's got to be a different day. You see what they what they're trying to do is bring, is is make this South Africa circa 1985. They know that in a very short time they will not have the numbers, and so and there's nothing they can do about that. But they want to be able to have the power, even if they don't have the numbers. Again, South Africa 1985, and we can't we cannot sit still and and, and allow that. None of us who believe in, in in you know in what this country is supposed to be about can stand, can sit back and allow that. So this whole idea of you know, this whole idea of this false equivalence or, or we all have to apologize or we all have to reconcile. No, Mm-mm. we ain't wrong. <laughs> Period. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it's like it's, I saw this uh, on, on, on Facebook uh, today, you know, between between the murderer and the murdered, between the rapist and the, and the raped person, you know, there's no half, is, there's no middle ground, you know? One side is right, one side has been, has no, one side has been done wrong, The better way to put it, one side has been victimized and the other side has been the victimizer. And so it's up to the people who've done the victimizing to 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 make the other side whole. They need to repent, you know, and then and then uh, fix, you know, repent and repair. What
1: they've done?
3: Yeah, repay. They need (laughs) repay. Repay.
2: Don't forget that one. Well, the three R's is better than the three K's. I know that. That's that's, (laughs) man. Hey, man, it's always good to talk to you, man. Keep doing. Well, you know what? I'm looking forward to your, your your articles, perhaps being a little more. They'll, they'll be tinged with a little more optimism he's like, <laughs> he's like the short short day
3: of journalists jesus
1: Christ. he's like let me think about it yeah we'll see when,
3: when, when i can do it truthfully and, and feel like okay i told the truth about what i feel then, then that's what you'll get
2: a good deal man it's always mm-hmm. good to see you literally. you're the best man i'm telling you look forward to looking forward to reading those articles take care thank you sir take thank care. you man take care
1: Our next guest is the co-writer, producer, and director of the film, Antebellum, which is currently number one on Fandango for the third week in a row. It's Gerard Bush. Hey, it a dance?
2: hey, young man. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing?
1: Doing good. That's a winner's dance. I yeah. saw you doing that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> three weeks well, in a row.
2: <laughs> uh, congratulations. That's a hell of an accomplishment.
4: Thanks, man. Like this whole thing, uh, the experience with the backdrop of... Everything going on in the world feels even more surreal. Um, but you know, you have to count your blessings when you get them. So I'm incredibly grateful that uh, we're in this position that we're in.
2: I have a weird theory. I think we're in a position we're in. I'm talking about what social activism is on the forefront. And perhaps some of the things, and I think one of the reasons for that is because so many people are home uh, and some of the distractions are gone, that they're seeing things uh, in different ways and seeing things that they perhaps... Uh, wouldn't have looked at it at other times. And I think it says a lot right now that the stories that that men and women like uh, in your position are telling are so nuanced. Why do you think, uh, because you, you, you don't just write, but this movie clearly, (laughs) <laughs> says a lot of like antebellum to me mm-hmm. was like antebellum has been a, a, a musical group It's now it, it's been a source well, of torture yeah. for <laughs> us. But it, now it's where white people get married. <laughs> so 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 but you found a way to tell stories, to be entertaining, uh, to be informative and to be bracing. Uh, this is a very and I think this is encompass all. Of, it, do you feel like that's your responsibility?
4: Uh, Look, I think that as a black artist, as a black American, as a citizen who's really concerned about the state of black America at the hands of white America, and by that I mean uh, either an indifference or uh, deriving direct benefit from the privilege of whiteness and not doing anything to, to correct the record, me as an artist, as a black artist, as a black American specifically, I feel a tremendous responsibility to tell the truth. And I think so many of us, um, whether we know it or not, we've, we've served as co-conspirators in performing the lie. And by that, I mean that the lie of the country's noble founding. The country was founded on the backs of stolen bodies and free labor, and my people, our people, are still suffering the residue results of that. And I can't tell a story or put something on the screen or put pen to paper without doing everything I can to amplify these issues and to bring them to the broader public for us to have a dialogue that hopefully we move into meaningful action.
2: But that's a very nuanced thing because you have to do all of that and it has to have commercial success. And people mm-hmm. still gotta have buy popcorn. <laughs> they still gotta do. <laughs> they still. Oh wait, that they, slave yeah. with hairball. Are those juju beads?
1: And <laughs> not feel bad looking at <laughs> <good>. it.
2: <laughs> so, so, and I, and I, in the same when when I do comedy, I write books. I've always tried to uh, give the My mother always said it, I, I used to give us aspirin and orange juice. So she gave us something we liked with something in, in something. It's, it's gave us something we needed in something we liked. And I think the one thing I've seen about not only is this film but you' like this new kind of wave of of, of, of directors and writers uh you guys kind of embody that where you kind of understand the you know the financial ramifications uh the commercial successful aspects and then uh, the, the storytelling part
4: I mean you, I think that we go into it knowing that um, especially being black that you're going to be judged probably on a by a different barometer. Um, And we need to be commercially successful, which means that we also don't want to just preach to the choir of people that are already on board with what we're saying. We need to reach a broader audience, which also includes a bigger tent with white folk. And, you know, quite honestly, I think that um, not remembering the history and then having to confront it in a different way and using a an access point, which hopefully this horror genre or an elevated horror is a is a new way of looking at it, which I think gives people an on-ramp into slavery, because for me, I'm really uncomfortable with watching my people in bondage. I think we all uh, can be incredibly uncomfortable with slave narratives. But then at the same time, we also have a responsibility not to serve as co-conspirators in the erasure of our own history. And so how do I make stories or write stories or or put movies together uh, that can educate us on the history while also hopefully finding some way to entertain in those those uh, windows of opportunity that we have within the story for whatever could look like levity um, in such a, a serious story.
2: I think the things that I, I found that that kind of have levity or, or they can cut the treacle are things that are so soberly true with irony. And I think you've done a, a masterful job of that. What is your goal when you? Because I know for my for me, my goal uh, is is obviously in the end to have people listening. Whatever reaction I get is what I get. But what is your goal specifically as a as a filmmaker?
4: My goal is for us to uh change or have an awareness of the stories that we're telling ourselves about ourselves sure so this is only just the beginning of a of a much longer play um ultimately one day i would love to you know remake mohamed <laughs> <I'd
1: love to, laughs> as long
2: as i, I, I get to the be, be a piano man that'd
4: be done <laughs> 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 This ain't nothing if you ain't got nobody to share it with. That's right. (laughs) I want to make a lot of different um, movies that speak about the beauty, and not the the beauty and the resilience of who we are as black people, but the beauty of the beauty of who we are as black people. Mm. And I think that um, that is something I'd like to leave our audience with, white, black, brown, and everything in between, Is that there is a a rich reservoir of stories to be told from the perspective of black people. And if I look at a movie like Gone with the Wind, for instance, I think that's a horror film. I think it's a direct insult to black people. I think the same thing. So what I did is I went and got the lenses from Gone with the Wind to shoot Antebellum on. So then I could use the same weaponry that was meant to um, create a really effective, beautiful piece of propaganda to then correct the record in modern day by recontextualizing what that is for 2020.
2: I can't wait to see what you do with the lizards from Birth of a Nation. That'll be dope right
4: there. uh,
2: uh, Most of our story, all of our stories as black people in in, in, in the American experience uh, start in the middle there was nothing before and nothing after we always are here and another thing is we always kind of know what's happening because we know when the story starts in the middle yeah. you don't have that much to go and and what have you done if you you really uh, took the historical the imaginational the the imagination the imaginary and the aspirational and put it in one film that's dope like that i would have never so to do you? You did three things, so let's just give you three checks. That ain't gonna happen either.
1: <laughs> no, nigga, it's Even, one he check. Knew it. he was like, yeah, that's probably not gonna happen.
2: <laughs> because literally, I don't like seeing stories about black people because I know what happens, and we never have triumphs, and they always start in the middle, and we were never anything before this, and we'll never be anything after that. But the mechanism you've used in this particular film has kind of you know the the ghost of christmas uh, past and future and it, so it it was I, I thought it was brilliant
4: oh man thank you and that means a lot coming from you because you've dedicated your life to activism through comedy and through this art and so i appreciate it um i think that um with Bellum, the black women that i know the black women that i've grown up with the black women that have been so uh instrumental in shaping who i am today I wanted to make sure, within the context of the story that we're telling about American slavery, that we that we're also seeing a depiction of black women in the way that I experienced them, uh, and so that was really important. That 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 sort of triumph, uh, which, you know, I think that we all walk around with this secret, this knowing as black people, that we come from something really extraordinary, and I'm not talking about just our time here in America. I, I, I think that that the ancestors are constantly trying to tell us that we come from a greatness that is is beyond our imagination and I think that for me as an artist as a filmmaker that I have to use my imagination to put that on the screen so that we can remind ourselves of, of all this greatness that we have.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important because I think a lot of times, uh, you know, we've all heard that that saying that you are what you consume. So if you constantly consume images where right. we never triumph, right. or we just almost get there. And no, it really kind of begins to take root in your soul. And somewhere in the back of your brain, you really feel as though, OK, well, I know try as I might. I probably won't triumph. And I think it's so sad that even as children, you know, you kind of see that and you begin to be that. And it's so good to be able to see, I guess, uh, a different image, if you will, on the screen in terms of knowing that there are triumphs and we do come from a beautiful uh, people and place and the types of lives that we lived and who we are innately still exist.
4: I think that um, I, that, is the, that is the greatest source of pride for me uh, is to be black in America. It's it's my greatest source of pride. I walk around with this sense of coming from the absolute richest culture, a reservoir, as I said, sure. of, of such beauty. And, and I'm tired of it being just about our strength and our resilience, because that also makes us, in many ways, in some of the depictions that we see, it's this superhuman quality, which... That in and of itself discounts the humanity. Sure. Uh, yeah. And that that we have had to endure so much, and we've still managed to have the audacity to not only survive, but in some cases, thrive. So I have a responsibility, just like any other black artist, uh, to make sure that the art that I'm expressing and that I'm keep communicating, that first and foremost, I have to answer to my ancestors. Yeah have to answer to where I come from and the and the stories that I want to see for black children, for black people generally speaking, so that we remember that within us there's always been the triumph. And we we have the ability to take this situation and to turn it around. I think in America right now we're we're at we've reached the precipice. And what I what I mean by that is I think that we're exhausted by the performance. You know, as soon as we, as soon as we stop performing, when Colin said, I'm not going to perform this anymore, I'm going to tell mm, the truth. Right. Pound of flesh. Yeah. Uh, as soon as you say that you're not, look, I got questions about America's founding. I've got questions about the things that you're saying about who we are and where we come from. I don't know if I believe that. Right. I don't know in in, in what world should I be so prideful about a place that has, number one, I'm still walking around with the brand. Of that surname that you gave me.
2: All right, Colin Kaepernick. Let me tell you something.
4: <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you something.
2: You gotta. You, you know what's interesting? You, just hearing you talk. But Hollywood. I mean, storytelling is so seductive. Like it, particularly uh, on, on the large screen. Like I remember and, and and like, like I remember watching Rocky, and the story mm-hmm. was so seductive that I actually rooted for the white dude. Like the, like <laughs> I root, I was like, get him, Rocky get him like, <laughs> over apollo <laughs> right over a, over a dude who was just who was excellent i, I wanted him to win and i'm going to in america you can only get a statue if you if you brutalize black people even rocky had a statue he had to beat three niggas up to get it like it was <laughs> but but the way that we can be seduced and that's why stories are so important because in 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 my natural state in my real world, I'd have never rooted for the dude who had every advantage and just only had to reach out and grab it versus the dude who had to literally fight his way. But that's the seduction and that's the importance of of owning of having ownership of the stories because they 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 tell they they continually perpetuate a narrative and have us buy it into it for the commercial success they all the time. Like I I want I literally can't imagine wanting and I wanted him to win.
4: I mean, we have people, you know, you know what happens with with this intoxication of um, indoctrination of teaching us that everything about us is bad and everything about them is good, to the point that you end up with this crabs in a barrel syndrome, this right. idea of hate that right. that that perpetuates and expresses itself through our own uh, community, and I think that we have to go back and dismantle that scaffolding that continues to support uh, inequity in the way that we are depicted on screen, in the way that we look at ourselves and allow uh, for them to tell us to forget about American slavery, but sure. they continue to lubricate sure. the, the, uh, the prison pipeline and decimate right. our properties. Right. So uh, what, I've, what I've come to understand with within every fiber of my being is that he she they that control the narrative hold the keys
2: yeah and and you were talking about our ancestors and speak the and I don't want to offend uh members of my family but the greatest black woman when I think of of a person who's not here a black woman who's not here anymore it's my aunt nita and I, mm. she is the first time I ever really understood what love was 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 her um and even though she loved me, and I was certain that she loved me, what she wanted me to do, all that they ever wanted us to do was survive. Black women wanted us to survive. They just want that was it. I'm trying to get you from here to there and not die. I want you to survive. They not never taught us how to live. And I think when you tell stories like you're telling in this, you take... Uh, the, homage, the homage to our ancestors, but the the, uh, the the lens that they can't see through, which is not only surviving, but living and thriving, which are words that they would never say. I just I, I can't let these streets take you. I can't like everything was about keeping you alive, and art has a way of waking up something else inside of you. And I think that that's why it's important.
4: You know, what you said really struck a chord with me, because I I think that I've shared a lot of those same uh, experiences with aunts and and my grandmother, who was phenomenal woman. Uh, But at the same time, you're absolutely right. There was this idea that we got to get you from point A to point B. And then you start navigating life as a black person where you feel that whether you recognize it or not on a subconscious level, do I deserve this?
2: Yeah survivor remorse yeah can
4: i can i be is it okay to be good is it okay to to be comfortable and and i think that us showing an example to ourselves of ourselves of triumph of the idea that our excellence our particular brand of humanity it's beautiful It's resilient, but the beauty doesn't lie in the resilience. The beauty lies just in our existing, and that's enough. And I think that when we teach ourselves and we teach the community and we teach our children, most importantly, that we've all been seated with an extraordinary gift, which is to be black. There is so much pride in just being black, and that is... No, it's not enough. It's an extraordinary gift to have. It's up to you to decide what you're going to do. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. But I think on the on the the anathema to that is that you have kids and 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 our community and and you know the idea that we're being taught by the media uh, and by films that depict us as being less than the extraordinary thing that we are. That is a that's an albatross that we need to liberate ourselves from immediately. In every
2: facet. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of trailers, like I I, I haven't seen the film in in full disclosure, but I saw the trailer. And Mm -hmm. instead, because the trailers are just kind of like the thing that makes you go see it. But Mm -hmm. I I oftentimes look for the things that they're not trying to let me see. The thing that Mm -hmm. I I, I came away with after watching the trailer was this sense of restlessness, which I think Mm -hmm. artistically is the greatest uh, canvas you can paint for. I think Mm -hmm. restlessness. Uh, and this this notion of being unsatisfied and being restless is something that you need to hold on to and harness. And I think, I don't know what you'll do after this, but I think that if you keep the same spirit that got you here, because, you know, Alexander Graham Bell, in order to invent the telephone, had to want to talk to a motherfucker that wasn't even there. You know, <laughs> like, man, I feel like talking to people that ain't here. <laughs> and I think you have to have... Uh, that that's lunatic. That, that that's manic. That's a sense of lunacy, and you have to have that to have, and you have to have a, a very John desire. And I think whatever you do from here, if you don't do anything else, regardless of what happens here, I mean, I don't. Every every film you do, it may not be number one, or every film you do, but as long as you keep that restlessness, that that same thing that you have right now, that same itch that you can't scratch, I, I just can't mm-hmm. imagine you do can't do in things that are so uh, that are indelible. And I and 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 I wish you the best.
4: Oh, that means the that means the world to me. I'll take that with me always, and I appreciate you all spending some time with me and having a conversation about race and anti And I can't wait to come back with my next movie. No,
2: and, and, and when you when you take the film from Birth of a Nation, I want you to do Shaft. I want you to take that. <laughs> no, I want you to use that film and shoot a, the new Spook who said by the door. It'll be spectacular. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank
2: you, man. The best day.